Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. As always, uh, we'll start our class off with some of the questions that were turned in. Uh, Question number one. How should I guide my spouse on appropriate discipline? (laughs) Uh, This is a loaded question that uh, for most people actually means, how can I get my spouse to handle our children like I handle them? Uh, There is a part of our human nature that feels like, you know, when our spouse doesn't handle our kids like I want to handle our kids, that they are therefore uh, messed up. Uh, And and I want to just use this as an opportunity to remind everyone that uh, God chose both of you to be their their parents. And so that means your spouse, even though they don't have your natural disposition and don't handle things like you handle them, your children need them just as much as they need you. And uh, I, I personally believe that every child needs this balance of uh, grace and ease and strictness. And, and I think if you take uh, either end of that spectrum off, I, I think it hurts uh, our children. Um, but if you're actually sincere uh, in, in your question uh, of how can I get my spouse to uh, guide my spouse to do appropriate discipline, uh, what I would say is do what you're doing now. Uh, come to a class like this. Uh, Take the book that we passed out in class, read the book together, talk about each chapter when you finish. Uh, There's 10 or 12 other parenting books uh, in our bookstore. Some I like better than others. All of them are good. None of them are the Bible. Go buy one of those books, uh, read it together, uh, talk about it. I personally think that uh, children's discipline is something that uh, husbands and wives should talk about in private regularly. And um, I think if your spouse, in the end, uh, chooses not to be a part of the discipline process and chooses not to want to learn, then understand that you're on your own and God's grace is sufficient for you and that you will make it. You know, God chose you both for your kids. You need to become, if that's you, you need to become a good prayer, (laughs) A good prayer for your spouse, for your kids, for yourself. And uh, there are a lot of situations and circumstances where uh, sometimes it's a mom, sometimes it's a dad. And, you know, sometimes they're just gone all the time. Other times they just choose not to be involved. Uh, but listen, you, your kids need appropriate discipline. Question number two, at what point do you allow your child to correct their own behavior and face their bad decisions? Uh, when our children are real young, I'm going to say maybe 7 to 10, you, you know, you, you need to be watching them pretty carefully and correcting things. You're basically teaching them, like we talked about several weeks ago now, how to control themselves, what kinds of things matter. Uh, but somewhere in that kind of a time frame, in the 7 to 10, uh, maybe 12 at the most, you know, you need to just purposely not pay attention to some things and let them face the consequences of what they're doing. And, um, you know, because if you're paying attention to it, then you got you, you, you got to respond. Uh, but, you know, just kind of 
sometimes just turn a blind eye unless it's something major and let them suffer for what they're doing. Uh, listen, if your children don't uh, learn uh, that you know some of the things they do are going to hurt them in life and hurt their relationships, if they don't learn that young, you know they're going to learn that when they're old and it's going to hurt them bad. You know, when, when somebody gets 17, 18, 20, 22, you know, and they're learning lessons, you can't bail them out, and some of those lessons are really big and painful. The more you get them to learn that, uh, and the younger, the better. To me, one of the most important principles that you apply as a parent is that um, privileges come with taking responsibility. And uh, in our house, it was always a big deal to be able to do what you wanted to do. That's a privilege, to make your own decisions. And that privilege is linked to being responsible. And I think the younger you can associate those two things, the better. Question number three, how do we deal with an older child who screams whenever we discipline them? Um, The way a child responds to discipline should be a part of the discipline process. Uh, in Proverbs, it teaches that the way we hear reproof, that, that's a part of wisdom, and that's a part of good character. And, uh, and so when your child uh, receives a discipline well, you know, I, I think that sometimes you can be more gracious and not give them what they would have gotten. Uh, if the child receives a discipline poorly, then I, I think they should get more. Uh, I think if this is an older child, uh, and enough that you can sit down and reason with them, you need to sit them down and say, hey, listen, you've been screaming when I give you discipline. From now on, when you scream, when we discipline you, that's going to bring extra discipline. And then you do what you said you would do. You know, treat them screaming when you discipline them as a separate issue from whatever they did uh, to deserve the discipline. Uh, Question number four. In today's world, how much of the problem with kids are medical issues versus discipline and parenting issues? (laughs) Um, First off, I I personally find it impossible to believe that in one generation we now need to medicate 20% of children, which as far as I'm understand it is about the medication rate and so to me something is wrong Um, I don't know if it's people's expectations of children and that might be part of it I don't know if it's related to diet that might be part of it I don't know what part of it is related to discipline and consistency of parents handling their children I, I think that's part of it Uh, You say, Brother Wally, are you implying that no child ought to be medicated? I I think uh, maybe in an extremely rare circumstance, but by and large, no. I I think those things, most of the time, the great majority of the time, can be fixed with diet, consistency, and proper expectations. And I think the problem is is that parents don't want to go through the hassle of dealing with a tough kid. Listen, some kids are tough to raise. Uh, You ask my mom uh, if I was an easy kid to raise. She will tell you absolutely not. 
Um, I didn't need uh, medication. What I needed was somebody to be patient with me, somebody to just stay on my back, and somebody to point me in a direction to have my energy be on more constructive things than beating up my sisters. You, you know, uh, I'm just saying uh, this whole idea of jumping to medication because our, our, my child is having discipline problems, I, I find great and take great issue with that. There's a book in our bookstore. I strongly recommend it. It's by the same guy, John Roseman, that wrote this book. It's called The Diseasing of America's Children. And the first two-thirds of the book are really kind of medical, scientific, statistical sort of thing, and you got to fight through it, uh, but it's worth it just to help understand the issue. And then the last third is like more linked to uh, what to do. Uh, some interesting but not always serious quotes. Here's the first one, number one. Parents who are always giving their children nothing but the best usually wind up with children who behave the worst. Uh, the second uh, interesting quote uh, it is a serious one. Making the decision to have a child is momentous. It is to decide forever to have your heart go walking around outside your body. Uh, some thoughts to ponder about parenting, some principles just to always think about. Here's the first one. Pace the privileges that you give your children. I mean, think about this. If you've already given your ch child the privileges that an average 16-year-old has when they're 12, what are you going to give them when they're 16? You need to pace their privileges. Here's number two. Gradually increase the responsibility that you give your children along with increased privileges. Uh, here's number three. Sometimes you may lose a battle with your child while you're in the process of winning a war. And uh, we are today on week 10 of uh, 15 weeks uh, together. As I tell you uh, every week, I don't have all the answers. Uh, I am somebody who has tried to pay a lot of attention to this issue. I'm a people watcher. I uh, was privileged to be a youth leader for 20 years in a youth ministry that had uh, over 150 teenagers in it every year for over a decade. I watched parents and kids of all sorts, and um, I think there's a lot to learn from watching uh, how people turn out based on how they're handled. Uh, we spent three weeks, the last three weeks, on discipline. Uh, today, we're going to begin a new subject. Uh, we're going to begin today talking about and spend several weeks talking about building character uh, in our children. There's a story told about a uh, father who looked over his son in a Sunday morning, and he said, you better get ready. The bus will be here in a minute to pick you up and take you to Sunday school. A little boy, he dropped his head and he looked at his dad and he said, did you go to Sunday school when you were a boy? And the dad said, I did, yes. And the boy dropped his head and walked away like only a seven-year-old could be serious and walk away. And he said, well, probably won't do me any good either. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, most of our good character is caught as well as taught. We've repeatedly talked in this class and will continue to do so about how important our example is when it comes to training our children. And that is certainly true when it comes to character. Uh, 
if I was going to pick, and many of you have heard me say this, if I was going to pick the one thing that I believe has deteriorated most in American culture in the last 50 or 70 years, that one thing I would pick, it would be character. There are fewer and fewer people in our culture and fewer and fewer people in our churches who have good character. Listen to me. Character and faith are not synonyms. Some people have very real faith in Jesus, but they have very little character. And what that means, if you have real faith in Jesus and very little character, what it means is that you're going to live a messed up and painful life, and then you'll die and go to heaven. (laughs) By the way, it is also conversely true that there are people with no real faith in Jesus as Savior, and they have good character. And what that, in effect, means is that you will live a life that will be successful here, and you're going to die and go to hell. Character and faith are not synonyms. I don't know. I think I probably echo what every parent here would say, and that's simply this. Uh, I want our children to have a successful and blessed life here and now, and I want them to go to heaven and have a relationship with Jesus. Character is what we are. Reputation is what people think we are. And by the way, if our character is good, eventually our reputation will take care of itself. But the problem is, is most of our culture and most people, they're focused on reputation rather than character. But what I'm calling us to this morning as saved people who believe the scriptures, who want not only our children to go to heaven when we die, but also to live a successful and blessed life while they're here, what I'm simply trying to do is get us to build both character and faith, and character is learned behavior. As parents, we need to get our children, we need to concentrate more on their character than we do their reputation. Character is not the same as talent. You can be born with talent. Character is learned behavior. It's a choice. Now, you might be here and you might have not been raised with good character. And I just say to you, you know what? Characters learn to behavior. You can choose as an adult to build good character qualities in yourself. And by the way, I suggest you do that because your children are watching the character in your life. By the way, some people were raised with good character who don't live with good character. Because character is learned behavior. It is not genetic. And so we're going to just spend a few weeks talking about uh, training our children to become people with good character. Uh, I know that's your heart's desire too. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Probably the most famous uh, verse on parenting uh, in the Bible Uh, Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I was taught, and a lot of people believe this is a Bible promise. Uh, Now, personally, as I studied Proverbs more, 
I kind of came to the conclusion that this isn't really a promise so much of as it is a proverb, a general principle that generally holds true. Just like the proverb says, the ringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. Well, no, you can twist somebody's nose and it might not bleed. But in principle, you twist somebody's nose, they're going to get a nosebleed. Um, by the way, even if it were a promise, and if you want to believe it's a promise, go, go ahead. Uh, I don't think we've actually really thought through what it's saying. I, I think we have to fight this whole idea that there's this silver bullet that if we do this, our son, our daughter will automatically be a person with strong faith in Jesus and character and life. We all wish there was a silver bullet like that, but children have the same free will you and I do, and all we get to do, like we studied in the beginning, is point the arrow. (laughs) But eventually the arrow is going to choose where it's going to fly. By the way, if this were a Bible promise, it's not a promise to those who do the best they can. It's not a promise to those who raise their children like other parents raise theirs. It's not a promise to those who raise their children like they were raised. It's not a promise to those who raise their children in the way they think they should go. (laughs) Train up your child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. This is a promise... A principle, in my opinion, if you want to believe it's a promise, fine. A principle that says, if we train them right when they're old, they'll not depart from it. First thing that I think of when I begin to look about this is, what what does the word old mean? Train up a child, the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. By the way, that word uh, that is translated there, old, uh, is used 26 times. 20 times, it's clearly ancient. Three times, it would be what we would consider middle-aged. And the other three times, like here, you can't tell. So understand that if it were a promise, it's a promise that if our, when our children get ancient, when we have trained them right, they'll go the way they're supposed to go. The second thing as I begin to think about this, and and, and listen, we're just studying the Bible for a second here and and trying to break down some misconceptions of of, of what we have. You know, because I've known Christian parents who say, well, I I did this and this and this, and my kid did that. Uh, You know, the Bible says train them up in the way they should go. When when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Uh, The second thing that I think of is not just what does the Bible mean here by old, what does the Bible here mean by train? That word is also translated four, the other four times as dedicated, and it's referring to things. The English word trained is used one other time, and that's in Genesis about Abraham's trained servants that he trained as soldiers. And so that word trained has this whole idea of this kind of a militaristic kind of strictness associated with it. The kind of strictness that the average person in here doesn't want anything to do with. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. By the way, me saying it's a principle rather than a promise, it doesn't mean that when we were raising our children that I did not try to claim this and talk to God about it. 
I would do that. But you need to understand that this is not some silver bullet. has nothing to do with how your teenager or young adult is going to behave if you do the best you can. It has everything to do with the Bible principle that if you use the proper strictness and discipline and consistency that he's talking about here, that that will come back in the life of your child. By the way, I'm glad you're interested enough in training your children to come to a class like this. A lot of people are not. By the way, there's a lot of other people could have taken this class. And their mindset is just really, hey, you know what, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I know better. I don't want to listen to any input. Don't try to get me to read a book on Christian discipline. Hey, I was raised this way. It worked out fine for me. I really commend you for coming just to allow your thinking to be challenged. But it does bring up this great question. What kind of character attributes should I train and build into my children and try to model myself? We're going to spend several weeks on this because there's a lot of issues. First, go back in your Bible to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We're going to spend the rest of our time, which is not that much, about 18 minutes, talking about the first character attribute that I think we need to train our children with. And here's number one. Train your children to identify with the gender God gave them. Train your children to identify with the gender God gave them. Titus chapter 2, verse 1, he says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed, Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. Now, it's not my intention this morning to go into any depth in this. We could literally spend a whole week on that section of scriptures. I just want to point out that there were some things that God wanted from older men and some things God wanted from younger men. There were some things that God wanted from older women. There were some things that God wanted from younger women. What I'm trying to get our foundational thought this morning to simply be is, you know, God could have just given some generic instructions. But the fact of the matter is that there are some things that though men and women are equal, there are some things that God expects to be different about men than women. Men and women are equal, but their roles in some situations in life, as God has designed life, are not the same. Now, there are certainly cultural traditions in America as well as elsewhere in the world, and I have no issue with us keeping cultural traditions that are associated with a gender unless they contradict the Word of God. 
But there are other things God has determined and associated with each gender, and you and I need to find them and follow them regardless of what our culture teaches or practices. And so as we think about this, I'm just going to ask you to set aside your personal preferences and your personal opinions and your personal experiences. And quite frankly, in this area of life, so much of what we think about masculinity and femininity has to do with how we've been treated by people who are masculine and feminine and those sorts of things. Let me ask you as we begin to think about this, which is superior, a scissors or a lawnmower? By the way, there's no answer to that question because it depends on what you're doing. By the way, both of them will cut grass and both of them will cut paper. But each of them function best when they're doing what their creator and designer made them to do. And that is true with men and women. We need to find what our creator and designer has asked for us in different circumstances of life and embrace them, and then we'll be more productive. Again, we don't have time to discuss the details. We could spend a week on this as well and then miss what I really want to cover today. If you know anything about the Scriptures, you know that they teach that men and women have different roles in the church. Pastors are to be men. Deacons are to be men. Uh, Teaching men and usurping authority over men is something that women are specifically told not to do in the church. This has nothing to do with ability. It has nothing to do with spirituality. It is simply the role God established for people in the church. By the way, there's a lot of spiritual women who are way more spiritual than men. Not only does Scripture teach of difference of roles in the church, Scripture teaches that men and women have different roles in the home. Uh, again, we, we could spend a week turning to these, but I'm not going to take the time to do this. We've only got 15 weeks uh, together. I mean, understand that a husband is commanded by God to unconditionally love your wife and lead your home. And a woman is commanded by God to submit herself to her own husband's loving authority. Has nothing to do with ability or spirituality, just the way God designed it. Scriptures teach that men and women should have different appearances. 1 Corinthians 11 teaches that men and women should have a different length of hair. It doesn't say how long, it's a relative thing. That's in the Scripture. Deuteronomy 22 teaches that men and women should have a different appearance. That doesn't mean that everybody in the world should dress like an American male, an American female. It means that in any culture, there should be a difference in the way and a distinction in the way that men and women dress. If God made a different plan in the church for men and women and a different plan in the home for men and women and a different appearance for men and women, don't you think then it would be silly for you and I to pretend that there should not be any differences when we raise a boy and we raise a girl? By the way, I'm not talking about some narrow definition of masculinity or femininity. I'm just simply saying this. We better raise our boys to be boys to become men and our girls to be girls to become women. 
you and I as Bible-believing people ought to stand up and defy this whole idea that men and women are the same and that boys can be girls if they want to be girls and girls can be boys if they want to be boys. Listen, there is a difference designed in our chromosomes. I'm sad to say many churches squelch masculine males. And many churches produce more effeminate males. You say, why do you think they do that? Uh, I think by and large because moms do that. And dads let them. I also think that by and large, uh, strong masculinity in the church, uh, when it's clothed in immaturity, it's just an ugly, painful thing to put up with. I mean, there's almost nothing or anybody you want to punch in the face any more than some 16 or 17 or 18 or 19-year-old male. Unless they're feminized. Then you just kiss them on the cheek. By the way, uh, churches are filled with women whose husbands don't step up. Hey, we're just being honest in here. And so what happens is uh, they sit in church and they hear week after week about how a husband is supposed to be trying to behave himself and fill these roles. And so they walk away when their husband doesn't do that and they don't have any respect for him. And then their lack of respect for him rubs off on what happens in their daughters and sons' lives. And all this basically causes us to be afraid to raise our boys to be strong men and our girls to be effeminate girls because we're afraid that if we raise our girls to be that way, they're going to be in a situation where some bad person, some bad man is going to take advantage of them. And we're afraid. And again, I'm not pushing some narrow definition of what it means to be masculine or feminine. I'm just simply saying this. John 16, 3.16 is no more true than what we taught about masculinity and roles of men and women. You and I today, God chose us for this day, and we do not have the luxury of living in a culture that supports gender specificity. And a lot of parents really hurt some children by blurring these lines. Please listen to me. There are some boys, just by virtue of the way they were made by God, you could put them in a room with 20 girls all their life and they will turn out to be a masculine male. There are some girls, just by virtue of the way they were designed and uh, by God, you, they could spend all day, every day with 20 guys and they would turn out to be a feminine uh, woman. And then there are uh, children by nature who need a lot of extra attention in this area because by nature, if you don't work with that girl to identify with her gender and you don't work with that boy to identify with his gender, they will not identify with their gender and you are there from God to make this happen. In our culture, you might be better to go a little too far making sure they identify with their gender, then not enough. Listen, there is a lot of social pressure in our culture, 
even subtly on television and cartoons and all those kinds of things against what I'm talking about this morning. And not only that, you add to that the tendency of young people to experiment. And this is a bad combination, which gets us to our real lesson today. What should I do as a parent or a grandparent to port my children toward their God-given gender? Here's number one. Dress your boys like boys and your girls like girls and compliment them for looking their part. It ought to never be said of, of your child when you have anything to do with their clothing that you can't tell what gender they are by their clothes. Start them out young. Shape their tastes. Compliment them for looking their part. Here's number two. Give your boys a boy haircut and your girls a girl haircut and compliment compliment them for looking their part. Pick their hair length and style for their sake rather than your preferences. Oh, it's Girls are so cute. Cut them, dear. Uh, you might not like this, but I wouldn't like being married to you either. But uh, my wife and I had a pretty dis- big disagreement over this when Wall was young. I didn't like that his hair were on his ears. He was probably, I don't know, eight months old. We couldn't reach agreement on it, so I cut it when she was gone. And by the way, I'd do it again. <laughs> see, see, you wouldn't like to... So, so, <laughs> never mind. Number three. Hey, brother, are you leading your home or is she? You don't love her if you don't ask her opinion and listen to what she has to say. But if you always do what she thinks, she's in charge, not you. Here's number three. Teach them to be proud of whatever God's gender has chosen for them. Listen, a boy ought to be raised to love being a boy and glad he's a boy. A girl ought to be raised just as equally glad that God chose for her to be a girl. Listen, if you're a girl, it's a wonderful thing to be a girl. That ought to be planted so deeply in your daughter's heart. Do you believe our designer knew what he was doing when he chose that? Here's number four. Make sure the biggest part of their toys, games, and work point them toward their gender. I I get it. There's some things that are appropriate for both. But there's some other games, toys, work uh, that are more associated with masculinity or femininity. Listen, everything your child does in one way or another contributes to shaping and pointing them to what they will become. And again, in our day and age, you better make as many distinctions as possible because our culture doesn't make any at all. Here's number five. Raise a boy stressing consistency, independence, strength. Those are key to becoming a provider and a protector of his own wife and family someday. If you take notes, write Job 38.3. God's first words to Job were, Gird up thy loins like a man. Right, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul said, quit you like men. There is a kind of masculine strength that a boy should have. I'm not promoting some super narrow definition of manhood. I'm just saying work on this. I do not believe this means a boy can't sing or play piano until he loses his masculinity when he does not Listen, it's more masculine to play sports than not, but playing sports does not make you masculine. 
It's more masculine to work with your hands and tools, but you don't have to do that to be masculine. It's more masculine to do physical labor, but you don't have to do physical labor to be masculine. It's more masculine to lift weights, but lifting weights is not necessary to be masculine. It's more masculine to drive a truck, especially if it's a blue Chevy. But you do not have to drive a truck to be masculine. There are others as well, uh, physical strength, aggressiveness, high motivation, ruled by logic rather than emotion, a reasoned risk taker, and, and to a degree those things can be in girls too, but they are especially good when applied rightly to boys. Number six, raise a girl stressing submission, support of her own husband, the importance of home and children, and a meek and quiet spirit. And by the way, I could show you every one of those from the scripture. Remember, no one is truly meek unless they're first strong. We need strong girls. Strong enough to say, do you know what? I could stand up and punch my husband in the face, and I could open that jar without him, but you know what? I'm strong enough that I don't have to always prove that. That's what meekness is, strength that chooses to control itself. These are key to becoming the heart of the home and a supporter of her own husband someday and her children. We read in Titus chapter 2 that young women to be discreet, chaste, and keepers at home. Keeper, that means that's a stayer and a guard. Uh, that's important. First Peter 3, 4 says that a woman should have the, a meek and a quiet spirit. And then in Proverbs 7, the woman who is a harlot, she's loud and stubborn, and her feet abide not in her house. Listen, if you're a girl, it's wonderful to be feminine. Nothing to be ashamed of. I, I don't believe that that means women can't play sports. I have no issue with that unless it causes them to lose their femininity when they're playing those sports. Say, Brother Wally, would you let your daughter wrestle on the wrestling team or play football? No. So my daughter's a wrestler. Wow, that's really wonderful, fine and dandy. You have your little girl out there running around with a bunch of sweaty boys on a mat in all kinds of places that have nothing to do with femininity. And you're bragging to me about that? more feminine to wear skirts and frilly clothes but you don't have to wear skirts and frilly clothes to be feminine it's more feminine to primp your hair and wear a lot of makeup but primping and makeup are not necessary to be feminine it's more feminine to love home related tasks like cleaning child care cooking but those are not necessary to be feminine it's more feminine to sew to craft to have hope chest scrapbook watch romantic movies but none of those are necessary to be feminine uh, there are other feminine things like sensitivity caring thoughtful emotional nurturing verbal, merciful, decorative. And those things can be in boys to a degree too, but they're especially beautiful and attractive when they are in a girl. The greatest thing you can do for your girl is have her so glad that God chose her to be a girl to grow up to be a woman. Which gets us to our last thing, and I'm going to spend 30 seconds. Trust God's plan for your home. Listen, be careful as parents overly stressing the gentle side of life with boys. I do believe they ought to add that. But every woman here, you wanted a strong masculine male when you were picking a man. Why are you raising a sissy? It 
It's not what you wanted. Be careful as parents not to overly stress the strong side of life with your daughters, though they should be strong. Listen, every guy here wanted a woman who is feminine enough to look to you and follow you and look up to you when you were choosing each other. Do that for your daughter. Listen, we, we, we live in a day and age when our society is not going to do this stuff. Amongst the people of God, we need to do it. Amen? I'll stop there. Write a question on your piece of paper. Fold them up. Drop them in the front. God bless you. You're dismissed.